Welcome to Inaudible. I'm your host, Jeremy Wyland, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nathan Reddy. On this podcast, we discuss the weird, beautiful channeled messages found in the long tradition of contact with the Confederation of Planets in service to the one infinite creator. These messages articulate a philosophy of spiritual evolution popularly known as the Law of One. Many of these messages are available to listen to on our sister podcast, Living Love and Light, available on all platforms. We seek to provide analysis and commentary on the philosophy described in these messages, identifying the common themes, and grappling with the application of this information to our human lives. However, we are not counselors, gurus, or experts of any kind, so please evaluate our words in light of our shortcomings and use your own best judgment. Thanks for listening, and good morning, Nathan. How's it going? Good morning. It's going well, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Like I told you, uh, I'm having a little bit of fatigue lately, but uh, today, like at least I know the source of that fatigue, unlike on a work day where I'm waking up and I'm like, well, I'm so tired. I haven't partied last night. Well, last night I did party, so <laughs> well, that explains it. I guess, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a good, uh, it's a good reason to be tired. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 like I was saying, I, I find that if I uh, have a reason, then it feels a lot less eerie and creepy that I'm just randomly exhausted but you know it is what it is i i i'm an adult and i just power through most of the time uh how are you doing life's good man i'm just uh getting ready for this uh social gathering for tomorrow and yeah just hanging out awesome yeah um so uh, we are recording today on a uh, session from the Kuo archives. Uh, the session is May 23rd, 1999. And it's Kuo talking about, you know, a few topics that are really central to uh, our approach here on Inaudible. Uh, the nature of the individual, the nature of the self, and where the creator fits in with all of this. And you know, kind of what the character of seeking actually is at the end of the day. So uh, I uh, have some notes here, and uh, I think we'll probably take the old classic route of just reading through the session, at least the, the important parts to the message coming through. Uh, was there any sort of preface that you wanted to offer, Nathan, from your point of view? No, I think we can just dive right in. All right, cool. Um. So I, I skip over like the preliminaries and all that stuff and just dive right into the meat of the message. So this is May 23rd, 1999, and this is Kuo speaking. And uh, Kuo says, The workings of what this instrument would call God and men are as complex and as assorted and varied as the grains of sand upon the shore. It is difficult to comprehend the myriad numbers of sparks of the Creator that are, just as you or we, attempting to be their true selves. It is hard to fathom that, even upon your planet, one small entity amidst a million or a billion other planetary entities, there is such a long history of people such as you, attempting to survive, to relate to each other, to accomplish physical and societal, mental and emotional goals. It is difficult to imagine the thousands of years during which the human experience has basically remained the same. This instrument thinks back over all of the reading that she has done through a long succession of classes and learning experiences. And no matter what the century or the millennium, the human heart has remained the same, seeking wisdom, seeking compassion, seeking the truth, 
concerned for basically the same thing century after century, millennium upon millennium. As each entity sits in this circle of seeking, she brings to this moment the sum total of all that has been undergone, all that has lasted through the chances and changes of daily living. In one field of energy there lies for each that history of the life, and taken to a bigger scale the history of that spirit, whose personality shell is now occupying the chair. For each of you, and each of us, has a tremendously long and varied history of incarnations and experiences and gifts and graces and opportunities. And were we to speak upon in sorry, and were we to speak upon any one of you, upon all that that one entity is, we could not exhaust the subject through any amount of time, for each of you is all that there is. Each of you is full and whole and infinite. Normally, I would have skipped over this kind of exposition because it doesn't really, it kind of sets a stage that isn't incredibly germane to what we're talking about, which is what is this self? What is this individual? And what is the, why is individuality so important to the creator's uh, search to understand itself? But I think that it's good to keep in mind that when we are talking about a self, we are not simply talking about a psychological construct, even though that certainly is part of what it is to be a self. Um, it is a container, I think, a center that uh, keeps in its orbit, keeps in its, uh, in its uh, sack of, 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 of energies that it carries from incarnation to incarnation in this path back to the creator. It's kind of like a locus for all of these things that represent one flavor, one character of the creator's view of itself. And I think it's good to, to take uh, stock of what the self actually is before we dive into the, the nitty gritty of how it interfaces with the illusion, especially in third density. Any thoughts on your end, Nathan? Yeah, I think it's good to understand what we mean by self here. Uh, and as we discuss this topic, it's very important. Indeed. So there's many different selves for sure. Um, I like to think of self in terms of distortions in a lot of ways. Um, and I, I use the word distortion as Ra uses the word distortion. So distortion isn't always bad, right? Ra says, I think, the first two uh, distortions, free will and then love, right? So they're very primal distortions. So there's a level of distortion that's almost tied into this um, octave, so to speak, of how this reality is completely set up. So, um, you know, kind of, I, I think of it in four different frameworks, maybe, um, so that there's distortions that make up what we call the smaller self. And then there's distortions that make up maybe the infinite self, right? Um, with respect to the smaller self, I would say that there's four types of distortions I, I tend to think about. And th this is a subject that I've thought about a lot, uh, even before this particular uh, quote passage. So there are distortions that people have that hinder polarity, right? A lot of these come from society. Uh, some come from family, upbringings, trauma, um, certainly from past life, attachment to ego, okay? Then you have distortions that are neutral to polarity. Um, I prefer strawberry over chocolate, right? Uh, that's actually true. I prefer the flavors. I mean, I like chocolate too, don't get me wrong. But that's not really going to, you know, affect the polarity one way or the other, right? Little personality things that I like. Um, then there's distortions that are useful for, for polarity. And Ra specifically mentions two of them. And uh, one of them is healing. Uh, and one of them is, is teaching and learning. Now, I think at a certain level, everyone, if you're on, if you're um, 
basically on the path of polarity, they're so useful that you're going to be doing some amount of healing and some amount of teaching and learning, uh, learn, teach, teach, learn. But what I think is interesting is if you look in the spiritual community, you look at spiritual figures throughout history, you'll tend to see that spiritual um, leaders, people focus more on one of the two archetypes. They're more of a healer. They're more of a teacher, uh, or, you know, uh, uh, I guess, or also a, a student, right? The student is also a teacher, vice versa. Um, and I see that in my personal life as well. Then you have distor- distortions that are inherent in polarity, right? So Ra and Quo talk about, and I think actually in this passage, they compare, you know, the positive polarity path service to others as kind of um, one of joy and laughter and love, right? And they often compare the negative uh, path or the negative polarity service to self as one of um, enjoyment in pain, enjoyment in suffering, right? And both of those are clearly distortions, um, but they, they're very, they're, they're inherent in polarity. Uh, but they are distortions, uh, not just because everything is a distortion, but at a certain level, you know, Ra and Quo talk about this, that once you're, pa- once you're getting past mid-sixth uh, density, um, you evolve to a point where polarity falls away too, right? So eventually this mm-hmm. will also fall away. And then we're kind of left with the infinite self. Um, and with that, there's just one raw quote that I, I just love. And this is actually one of the earliest um, raw channelings because, you know, it occurred over a three-year period where, it, you know, raw basically talks about, and this is uh, session one, question seven, and the question's actually lost. Um, so you don't know what the question is, but raw answers Consider, if you will, the universe is infinite. This has yet to be proven or disproven. We can assure you there is no end to yourselves, your understanding, what you would call your journey of seeking or your perceptions of creation. That which is infinite cannot be many, for manyness is a finite concept. To have infinity, to have infinity, you must identify or define infinity as unity. Otherwise, the term does not have any referent or meaning. In the infinite creator, there is only unity. You have seen simple examples of unity. You have seen the prism, which shows all colors stemming from the sunlight. This is a simplistic example of unity. In truth, there's no right or wrong. There is no polarity for all will be, as you would say, reconciled at some point in your dance through the mind-body-spirit complex, which you amuse yourself by distorting in various ways at at this time. This distortion is in any case not necessary. It is chosen by you as an alternative to understanding the complete unity of thought which binds all things. You are not speaking of similar or somewhat like entities or things you are everything every being every emotion every event every situation you are unity you are infinity you are love light light love you are this is the law of one so i think that's it's a very powerful way of describing really what i would call the infinite self uh in this octave because maybe once you get outside the octave the 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 concepts of love and free will apply differently but at least in this octave um they're kind of inherent. So that's kind of the way I view self uh, and individuality, as you can see, if you, if you kind of go through um, what I've been talking about, and as we'll get into this, certain layers of the distortions will fall away if you're on the path, right? So uh, yeah, I think this is a great topic and let's continue to go through uh, the channeling here. Yeah, the, 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 the part of Kuo that we just read earlier, I think that was largely dealing with, hey, this self is infinite and whole and full of everything. And yet the one, the, the the self that you are actually identifying in your day-to-day experience also has 
all these distortions in it, these distortions that you use to identify yourself and to kind of like create yourself out of those distortions that you have accreted to yourself, right? Like that gives you kind of like an outer referent for the self. But they're also saying, and they will, they will expand upon this, that there is an inner referent that can be discovered that is not dependent upon distortions, not dependent on details or facts or characteristics that you use to distinguish yourself from another. Um, that is, imp it's important to recognize that selfhood is occurring on both of those levels, and there's kind of a dynamic tension between those two things. We are getting way ahead of Kuo here, though. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and at least the listener knows where we're headed. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, uh, let's continue because I really do think that the. I don't want to skip over any parts of this main monologue. It's really, really pretty and really insightful. So uh, where we left off is, you know, we have all of these distortions, all of these experiences that we've accrued over our lifetimes as an individual careening through the blackness of chaos back to the unity of the creator. And these things are very much, they speak to the human heart and the longing that all of us have, but we understand in these different ways, in these unique and individual ways. And so Kuo continues, as always, for one attempting to come to a place of more awareness, the tool of choice is silence. In meditation and in prayer, much may be accomplished beneath the surface of that beingness that is each of you. Without words to limit, without thorns to inhibit, the silence speaks in the free and open manner of deity. Oh, I love that line. The more of silence that one may eat as food, the more deep shall come that awareness of that creator speaking within that system of energies that is the being that is each of you. We hear you speaking of the desire to serve, the desire to give of the self to others and to the planetary energy. And we applaud that hope and that energy. For each of you was indeed careful to include unique gifts in the personality that you chose for this incarnation. And it is wise to seek out one's gifts and to find ways to use them in the service of others. And I just want to speak right now about um, the role that meditation plays in this discovery of a duple self, one that is not out there and distinguished and called out from other individuals by the location and space that your body takes up or the characteristics of your body or the characteristics of your ego and your personality. All of these things are wonderful and they are vectors through which we manifest our unique understanding of love and the creator. Uh, but, and, it, and it's wise to develop those gifts that we have bestowed upon ourselves that the creator has bestowed on us. But it is in that silence that we begin to have an understanding of a self that does not uh, need to be cataloged in this detailed way. It doesn't need to be created out in the illusion. But instead, there's another sort of like center of attention that doesn't require us to maintain this tension and this, this like the, the, to, to, to cobble together all these details into a self that we continue to reproduce moment to moment in the illusion. Instead, there's something that is much calmer and is a relaxing and um, a, a, a falling into a more natural state. Is that kind of how you see what's going on here too, Nathan? Yeah, absolutely. And, and when you're uh, reading this last paragraph, it kind of reminds me of how in a lot of ways um, 
everything is kind of a fractal reality or a microcosm of the bigger picture. So when you're kind of going through about the idea of, um, you know, getting in touch with this deeper inner self, you know, I think people who even necessarily aren't overtly on the spiritual path or doing daily work, so to speak, they experience a form of this. So what I mean by that is that so many people these days um, base a large part of their identity um, on very transient characteristics, right? Like youth, um, beauty, uh, quickness of mind, even to a certain extent, right? Because you, as you, as you get into your later years, your senior years, you're not going to be as quick, you know, and they view it as that's who they are. And over time, you know, that health, uh, maybe even health, I didn't mean to say health, maybe that's a Freudian slip, but basically that, that youth, that beauty, maybe even that quickness and intelligence, right. Will start to diminish as you age, uh, as you get into your 60s, 70s, 80. And you're forced to reconcile, well, who am I without these things? And obviously we've talked about this in, in, in other talks about identifying with your career, right? Which obviously everyone ends up uh, either choosing to retire or being forced to retire as your skills diminish over time. Uh, as you, you know, for the most part, there's always exceptions. Um, and so it's this, it's, it's almost like everyday life um, forces you over time, over years and decades to confront with this uh, understanding that your identity and self changes, right? Uh, maybe, maybe you have the identity of, uh, you know, being a husband or wife, and then you're in a unexpected divorce. And so there's a lot of ways that um, these small little selves we build up is just broken apart by catalysts in daily life that occur on a month and yearly basis. So it's, it's a very interesting kind of dynamic that it's almost in a certain sense, always at play. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to me, it's as if, there is, uh, you know, this outward vector of attention that is involved in incarnation to begin with, right? You're going out to the world and you're existing in it. In order to exist in it, in order to have that vehicle in which to participate in the game, you have to have qualities. You have to, you have to be something distinct from something else. What meditation does is it takes that outward vector of attention and that center that that outward vector gives us in the illusion, and it gives us another center that's kind of a counterpoint, which is one that isn't defined by things and qualities, but is instead defined by the absence of that, by the fact that no matter how deep we go, there's a center. You know, in, um, in session 82, question seven, Ra talks about this in the context of infinity and how the octave works. And they, they say something that's always stuck with me, which is there is a center to infinity. Infinity is not just this vast, like, uh, spectrum that has no reference point. There actually is a place from which it emerges. This is very important because I think this is how our selfhood recapitulates that centerhood of infinity. Our self, our individuality is kind of a, um, a distorted center to a distorted infinity. And it is in, in touching back into that that we find our deepest nature of who we are. Now, we manifest that into the world through our attention and through our actions, and this, and this flow into the world occurs and creates experiences that teach us and teach the creator about itself. But that stuff has to be recovered back into the center, and the center that we don't create that doesn't need our action and our doing 
to 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 manifest. It's already there. It's the source from which it all comes. And it is in meditation and silence that all of the things that clutter up that awareness of that center begin to fall away. They aren't they aren't needed anymore because we already have an anchor into beingness. And it's that anchor that we're exploring. The, I think a big takeaway is that uh, the tighter our grasp on that, or that maybe tighter grasp is not the right way of saying it, but like our familiarity with that center at lower and lower levels of, of, of distortedness um, gives us the confidence as a self to let things fall away in the outer illusion and to allow transformation to work on us. Because when we transform, there's a kind of death that occurs of who you thought you once were and you become something that you didn't think you were before. And in that, that center within us that we seek in meditation stays the same, even though the outer, the outer characteristics may, may transform wildly. Um, and so which are we clinging to, right? Which are we identifying with at a given moment? And I think we identify with both. It's a kind of a sine wave back and forth between that inner center and that outer manufactured center that is our ego personality, right? Absolutely. I, I think one thing that um, the Confederation or the vast majority of, the, of Confederation philosophy emphasizes, and I personally agree with, is this idea that the the little self isn't something that's inherently bad. You know, it's it's still a part of the greater self, um, maybe. And in a certain sense, it's, you know, there's obviously going to be parts of the little self that are just aspects of trauma that will be healed, but it's, it's okay to enjoy parties and, and to have fun. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think in you know, other spiritual practices, they often uh, kind of have this denial of life, denial of the enjoyable things in life. And I think it's easy. And, and I think my supposition as to why this happens, because I've seen this not just abstractly in, in other spiritual philosophies, but also people who try to be on the spiritual path is they mistake the falling, they mistake a forced falling away with becoming more in touch with your inner self. Mm -hmm. It's it, so it's not that you have things fall away and you get in touch with your inner self. It's usually the other way around. You get in touch with your inner self and then the things that are not necessary will fall, will fall away. And what's interesting is uh, typically for most people who are, you know, just starting this path is as you get in touch with your inner self, and, and things start to fall away, there will be a kind of um, a period of, of solemnness where you're kind of de very detached and you're just trying to figure out what needs, what is falling away and what maybe you think will fall away or temporarily f fell away. And then you realize, oh, it's actually compatible with my path, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's totally fine to go to parties and have fun, but maybe, you know, the thing that falls away is, is getting blackout drunk, right? So it's, it's, it's interesting in that there's this, for me, there's a, there's an interplay with, it's almost like once you lose your attachments, some attachments like the, this is a dumb attachment because it's almost implying that one of us likes to get blackout drunk. That's <laughs> no one, none of us like to get back blackout drunk. I guess I'm just using that example because I'm in SoCal and that is a pastime <laughs> for a lot of people that I know. Okay. So, <laughs> but let's, but let's say um, some things will fall away. Like, enjoying parties through getting blackout drunk. But once you're no longer attached to a lot of these things that you, you indulged in, so to speak, or you enjoyed, you'll notice that without the attachment, 
of you have to go to a party, you have to have a nice social circle. Paradoxically, it'll allow you to enjoy the, the parties you go to. It'll allow, it'll, it'll allow you to enjoy your social circle even more because you, you don't need it to thrive. It's just um, it's just like a bonus to the ongoing love that's always in the moment. You'll be able to appreciate it more because you're, you're no longer fixated on that it has to happen, right? It has to be there. You, and so you can just appreciate the moment much more cleanly. So in a, in a weird way, for, at least for me, getting in touch with the inner self and having things fall away, um, some things completely fall away, but then other things I just lose attachment towards, but it actually enables me to enjoy it more, which I found was very uh, interesting. That's really, that's really cool. It, it, it shows how this, um, this dialectic process is going on between these two centers we've identified, the center of the incarnate expressed self and the sort of like unmanifest self maybe as a way of putting it right that right. like self that's within that uh that is the source from which it all emerges and like yeah like we cling to these outer details because we don't know who we are if we lose them and so the spiritual path is largely showing us a deeper level at which we can identify so that those details of the outer self can come and go as needed in order for us to serve. Exactly. To, to realize our, our will, which the deeper we go in within ourselves, we get closer and closer to what the creator's will is, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, and it is in, and, it, and you know, we often uh, cling to specific things that we like about ourselves ourselves, such as uh, our gifts. And uh, that's where we left off. And it is wise, Kuo says, to seek out one's gifts and to find ways to use them in the service of others. And they continue. Perhaps we may say that when the word wise or wisdom is heard, we have not yet gotten to the heart of meaning for this particular density. The lesson that is before you at this point is undoubtedly not about wisdom, not about being wise, but rather about discovering the spring of infinite love. The rational mind can do just so much when it comes to seeking out the wellspring of one's being. It can put you in a good place. It can arrange an environment for best effect. But once the stage is set, there seems to be nothing but a beating heart, a resting body, an alert and seeking mind that thirsts for the creator in time. And in this curl of body and silence and time, there is the feeling of being alone, being still, and being at sea. And the rational mind asks how this curl of energy and hope and time can bring one to oneself. Individuality is a very deceptive thing. We are not denying each of you your individuality at all, but it is a puzzling thing in that it predisposes one to thinking that the goal is to find more of one's individuality than in becoming more of oneself one shall become more individualized. This, however, is not our understanding of the way one becomes more fully or wholly oneself. The rational mind wants to reach out and pull in all of those things that will be useful and helpful in the search for the heart itself. There is that feeling of accretion, of collecting resources that will be of help in this search. Yet is our feeling that the becoming more of oneself is a process of things falling away, a process of subtraction. All right, let's take a break here. Any thoughts on this, Nathan, particularly? Uh, I definitely agree with kind of uh, the way it's it's portrayed or it's described that individuality is a deceptive thing. Um, when you first are on this path, a lot of uh, a lot of what I would 
describe people go through is deprogramming mm -hmm. because a lot of us are, um, a lot of us have distortions from society and family that have us conform to be like this generic individual, not, you know, normal person, whatever that, whatever that means, but it's typically yeah. associated with certain characteristics, values, um, desires, goals in life. And in a certain sense, once you allow that and those things to fall away, you end up discovering ha certain aspects of yourself that are more individual, that were uh, almost suppressed by this um, uh, acculturation or this conforming to what society wants, at least I feel like in Western society often, making you a good worker, right? Worker be values, so to speak. And in a, so at the, at the first stage, you almost seem to discover a deeper, uh, a more individuated self compared to everyone else in society. But as you continue to go along the path and get in touch with the deeper self, um, you don't get attached to that, to the individuation, as we said earlier. Um, you realize that you're more connected with that infinite self and these other characteristics, like, you know, maybe you're good at a particular career or, um, you have a skill at something that wasn't valued by society. Maybe like, you know, your parents and, and where you grew up didn't value artwork, but you realize you really love to, to, to paint. And that's a beautiful thing that you do. Um, but you don't get attached to those things. The deeper you go, mm -hmm. you might still engage with them, but if suddenly, you know, God forbid you're in a car accident and you, your hands are no longer capable of the fine movements for painting. Um, it's one thing that you'll, it's just another thing that falls away, you know? So to a certain extent, uh, and, and those distortions we talked about, right? If you look at um, distortions inherent in polarity, if you look at the mystical traditions of most religions, they they often say the same things, right? It's about love. It's about mm -hmm. unity. It's about treating one uh, the other self as a brother. And in that sense, the, the, it's almost like on one end, you start off in society having this conforming, productive worker be, uh, self, and you go through this process and you discover the infinite self, which is loving in the moment and very present. And it's, um, it's another type of similarity, right? So it's, mm -hmm. it's, it, it is, it is, I think, deceptive because at certain stages of the process, you feel very individuated. And then in a certain sense, it's not that you feel less individuated. You just start to see yourself more as the infinite self. The individuated self is still a part of you, but it's part of this bigger whole. And I and I think that the the I, I agree with everything you're saying. I think what they're saying here, in particular, though, is the role that the mind plays in this, right? Absolutely, because the mind is the one that wants to have a project of this construction of an outer self that has just the conditions it should have and none of the conditions it shouldn't have, and it sort of thinks the mind and the intellect, and I, I should say the intellect in particular, because there's a, I think there's an aspect of heart that is very mind-based, but it's more of that intuitive side of things, right? right? We're talking about reason, rationality, the intellect, and the ability to act upon the world as a self and then have that register and affirm oneself. Um, no, I mean, uh, that's, that's absolutely correct. And we'll talk about this, I think, a little bit more in depth just based on what's coming. Uh, but I, I, yeah, I have, I have notes here that, um, you know, basically this idea that you can evolve yourself through purely through the rational mind. It's just, it's, it's just not how it works. Uh, nope. The rational mind only has access to a limited portion of reality. And it is a useful tool. But, you know, Ra and quotes specifically talk about that 
one of the prerequisites for really, you know, um, reaching the uh, creator is to quiet the mind. Um, and you, in a certain sense, it's weird because you can use rational techniques to prepare the mind if for that quieting, but ultimately the, the mind doesn't quiet itself. It's almost like you have to get in touch with your spirit. So yeah. it's, um, it's, it's very important to understand that your mind is not going to, it might get you some portion of the way there, but you, it's not going to get you all the way there. It's not, it's going to, it's more going to prepare you for what's to come. Yeah, the way that I often hear uh, the Confederation describe uh, the intellect is that it's like a walking staff, right? Perfect. So, like, it's a tool to be used in this exploration of self and other. But at the end of the day, what we're after is not examining this walking staff. It's examining the path and finding that spring of infinite love that they talk about. And... um it, what 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 is being described here, and what I find so fascinating about this this session, is the way in which they try to describe this journey in the way that we can start to feel it more rather than think it. And when you're thinking, you have this plan, you have an approach. It's constructed. It either works or it doesn't. But you're kind of like fixed on it. As but but those of Ra, even in their first contact session talk about uh we are we are a dance right we are dancing thoughts like these thoughts have only have the uh concreteness that we attribute to them and the it is in the rational mind's approach to things that we 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 try to build a self out of these different details and different distortions. That's what they talk about. I think when they say there is this feeling of accretion of collecting resources that will be of help in the search. And I don't want to uh, suggest that there isn't a role in which accreting these things of the self is needed. Um, the issue is that uh, it's just as important to take them on as it is to put them aside. All right. So when they're talking about accreting this stuff, uh, there's a there's a Latouille session, May 1st, 1983, that discusses this. Actually, this is Hatan saying this. You will be bidding farewell constantly for this process of amalgamating to the self those things which seem useful is continuous to the student. And in the process of communication, each thing must be given up for only in the full light of compassion, which has no stake and nothing to lose. Can you truly hear the voice of another being who speaks? But what I'm going after is this idea of you bring these things into yourself. And they talk about this in the May 1st, 1983 session. You're, you're, you're identifying these things that may be helpful on your path, but the more you cling to them, the more you limit yourself to those things and you don't allow them to fall away so that you can bring in the new things it's in letting these things fall away that you are able to then allow new details new characteristics to come in and sit in that bag of personality that you've been carrying from incarnation to incarnation to incarnation and it is the bag is just as useful when it's when it's able to be have stuff removed as it is when it has uh, the capability of having stuff placed within it. Yeah. It's um, it's this idea of allowing things at a certain stage to occur. So the mind right. I, I find is very, very useful for um, healing lower ray distortions. So uh, often, you know, there's still going to be cases where the lower ray distortions um, may not yield to a, a mind technique, but the mind, in my opinion, is most useful when you have some red, orange, or yellow things to undistort. Maybe even a bit of green. 
But once you start getting into the the higher concepts, green, blue, and indigo, the mind is, if you, if you think you can conquer those with the mind, that's actually um, not true. And in fact, you know, the intellect, I think we should, you're absolutely right. I think intellect is a better term. The intellect is so closely associated to what I would call the ego. And it kind of has, it's almost like a, I don't know if not a thought form, but it has momentum of its own. And Mm -hmm. if you can, a lot of people falsely identify with the intellect as themselves. And it's, if you start to rely on the intellect and think that that's the main way you're going to figure the stuff out, you're in a certain sense, identifying too strongly with a, with a individuated portion of the smaller self. That's going to be a barrier to allow, allowing you to contact and have the, infinite self flow through you and really for you to understand that is who you truly are at your core. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's, I think of like an anchor, right? Like a ship is a fixed point and it drops an anchor in a certain place. And now it has a connection to something that fixes it, but it's just as important for that anchor to be pulled up so that the ship can move as it is for the ship to be able to like drop the anchor and stay in one place. And so as we learn how to give away parts of ourselves and stop identifying with these transient details of personality and self, we allow for new details to come in. And in this way, that deeper part of ourselves, that spirit part, can use manifestation as this inflection point for the deeper principles and ideas and feeling tones that the creator is uh, uh, exploring within itself. If we uh, don't allow that, if we stay fixed on one identity, then we kind of uh, uh, frustrate that free flow. And again, we're getting way ahead of Kuo here, but like this is this, this idea of the individual as a kind of like center to, to the infinity of self and 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 manifesting into this other uh more distorted center in manifestation is really really uh interesting to me as a as a concept of what's going on in the cre- in, in the creation and what's going on in 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 awareness and beingness at all right what project is going on here and what pattern is being realized at these higher and lower levels of distortion and that concept you just spoke of right the infinite self um, manifesting through the individuated self. It's, uh, I think it's a concept present in many religions. It's certainly present, you know, in a lot of the raw archetypes of the mind, body, spirit, um, the Tarot archetypes where they really talk about, um, you know, the mind, body, spirit complex being a vessel for the creator. Right. Um, and I think when my interpretation of certain religions, when they talk about, uh, you being an instrument of God's will, isn't that you don't have free will. It's more this idea that you're allowing creation, all of creation, infinite creator to flow through you. And, and, you know, it's sometimes easier said than done (laughs) because of all the distortions we have um, that kind of block that flow. But that's kind of the concept, right? There's distortions that block the flow and there's distortions that color it. Absolutely. And there's distortions that help it. Exactly right, like and that that I think is why individuation and 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 incarnation in particular are so useful as this as this process this unfolding process of the creator sort of un, 
discovering itself and getting into all of its little details. We are that process that the creator, we are that organ of the creator's understanding of itself that is, that is, that is cataloging all of these different like aspects that is after all itself, but just as, just as much not itself, right? Right. It's not itself. Those details are not itself to the extent that they are isolated from the rest of the unity. Right. But they're only recognizable and appreciated if they can have that, if they can be understood in, in, in that stark relief from the rest of the background unity. So like, I, that's kind of like my best idea of what individuation is and, and why it's useful is because it gives the creator this ability to focus on some, 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 some separate like aspects of itself and thereby block everything else out. It's doing this focusing in a infinite number of ways, each of us being one of those centers of itself that it is that it is looking through, that one of those apertures that it's peering out through. And so, uh, yeah, this is so hard to talk about without repeating yourself. <laughs> no, I, I think uh, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. I think uh, you're doing yeah. a good job here. I, I there, but there's a there's still a mystery to individuality that even this doesn't capture fully, and and I find it so uh, appealing to think about and to feel into. Yeah, and I think it's important to remind the reader that uh, as Ross says, uh, full understanding is not of this density. So you know, right. we're we're talking, but uh, I, I think we we both obviously admit that there's a lot. And even Quo and Ross, sometimes you ask them a question, they're like, uh, you know, we don't really know why the octave is set up this way. Um, so yeah, you know, just being humble, uh, I guess, as, and as you approach this topic is humility. Yep, humility. Remembering that the heart is at the center of our lessons in this density, not the not the rational mind. And as they and, and that and that the individual is kind of this platform for accruing and releasing details that allow the creator to understand itself. Um, so we'll continue with Kuo. Uh, so they just said, you know, there's this becoming more of oneself as a process of things falling away, a process of subtraction. And they continue. The model that we give this instrument is the model of an entity who works upon two levels. On the outer level, the seeker who wishes to become more itself deals with the environment about it, attempting to place itself more and more in an environment that it finds conducive to the giving of its gifts and the learning of its lessons and, it, and the keeping of its promises in relationships and ethical considerations, and in all those matters of personal honor and duty. There is a valid benefit gained by the seeker as it simplifies, simplifies and regularizes its environment in such a way as to find fruitfulness of self in all of those ways that entities think of being fruitful in avocations and vocations. There is a legitimate outer work that is helpful to doing, and we would not say that one who wishes to move more into the heart of oneself should forego working on the discipline of the personality, the purification of emotion, and the development of the magical personality. These are just and helpful uses of the mind, of the attention, and of time. However, in terms of doing the inner work, the challenge is to find ways to allow that which is not the heart of self to fall away. It is not that one decides to remove self-identification from this or that pattern of living or distortion of mind, but the seeker who feels that it knows what it is to be dropped 
in order to be more the heart of self is deluding itself at some level. For there is no way from within the self to see into the patterns of energy that are in essence distortions of the one infinite creator. Consequently, there is no rational way to become more and more undistorted. Working to become less distorted is a distortion itself. And the seeker who attempts to guide itself in the ways of becoming the creator is, instead, most likely developing patterns of thinking that are in and of themselves an additional distortion. So there is the addition of distortion rather than the subtraction of distortion. Let me just include one more paragraph here. What we are trying to say is how easy it is to work too hard at something that is not actually work at all, but rather a growing willingness. And this is the heart of what we would like to say this day. This place of willingness, that things may change in any way, seemingly inwardly or seemingly outwardly. It is this attitude of open possibility, of lack of fear when viewing the present or the future, that is a kind of key. And if you do nothing else from what we suggest this day, but cultivate an attitude of willingness to be swayed by the tides of destiny, then we are more than happy. All right. Big chunk of ideas there. Anything that strikes you that you want to start with, Nithin? I mean, there, there's a lot I, I could uh, say about the subject. So, so one thing I just want to clarify, um, and I don't think I'm disagreeing with Quo, uh, but I would probably word it a little bit differently. And so when it specifically says, consequently, there's no rational way to become more and more undistorted. The way I would phrase that is this. When you actually think about it, unconditional love, right? Heart-based love, um, you know, and, and green ray, blue ray, and indigo ray, faith are not rational concepts. You can't justify them existing on the basis of logic. And so in a certain sense, a lot of concepts that the rays teach, um, you know, even in the lower rays, like uh, when I say the rays teach, I'm talking about when Ra talks about and Quo talks about the the undistorted version of of, the characteristic lessons of each of those rays. So when you think about it, um, you know, if if you want to try to justify unconditional self-love, which is both orange and green ray, um, if you want to justify unconditional love of others in a group setting, in a societal sense, a group sense, and also, you know, which is yellow ray, and also just green ray, unconditional love of others, you can't rationally justify that. Like, there's just no, you can try and think you're talking about intellect, but at the end of the day, the rationality and using the intellect has to incorporate irrational things, seemingly irrational mm-hmm. things, such as unconditional love and faith. So while the rational mind can get you very far, if you try to convince yourself that, you know, it's only going to be logic that will take you on this journey, you can't rationalize service to others, at least. Maybe you can, maybe you could, I haven't studied this in detail. I think that even for the service to self path, faith, which is not a rational concept, plays a part. But um, because the service itself shuts down Green Ray because they consider it folly, I think it's through a very logical examination, it's folly. I would say that logic probably plays a bigger role. Intellect probably plays a bigger role in the service self path. But even in the service self path, once you start getting into the issues of faith, that's not purely rational either. So in a certain sense, rationality can help you, but it's not going to take you the full way. That's my, I, the, my first point. The second point is that... Um, with respect to the outer work, there's certainly, you know, as um, Quo talks about in this particular paragraph, but also as Quo and Ra have talked about elsewhere, um, sometimes when you're on this path, there's going to be outer work, outer changes that are going to be very important, right? Ra specifically talks about that it's very difficult to be, to choose polarity or study polarity if um, you're working from uh, 
I think dawn to dusk, which <laughs> right. I it need just, a certain amount of leisure. Yeah, it was just brutal because a lot of people worked like that's not even considered like exceptionally long. Like dawn to dusk on for most people is like a ten hour workday. Like that's or ten or eleven hours, depending on where you live, of course. Like working that's literally working fifty to fifty five hours a week. That's not even considered like crazy in Western society. And yet here here's Ross saying how are you going to polarize when you're just working what's considered a little bit uh, heavier than a normal workday, right? Like, anyway, I, so in a certain sense, when you're on this path, I think it makes sense that you're going to make some outer changes, right? Uh, in addition, Ross specifically talks about doing the daily meditation practice, which is going to take time. It's an activity, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, I think Ross also specifically talks about that these are all techniques and the heart of the matter is not technique. It's not through the intellect. And the inner work, it, it's um, it's that willingness to uh, allow these things to fall away, right? And the intellect can assist you, but it's not going to take you all the way. Yeah, it's um, – I really like this idea of working at two levels. Absolutely. As if we are kind of – what the individual is is this kind of mediator from spirit into the manifest, right into the illusion and what we choose to use as those anchor points in manifestation and, and to target when we're, when we're bringing this love through as we best understand it in our distorted uh, imperfect way, like that is an incredibly important, like, you know, locus to have, uh, you know, anchoring this love and light uh, for uh, our purposes and the creator's purposes. Uh, those of Kuo say that there is legitimate outer work that is helpful to doing. When they talk about uh, the dichotomy of being and doing, both of those things, you know, create the possibility of the other. Without being, there would be no doing. Without doing, there would be no being, right? right. Like. It is, we need both. We need to work at both of these levels. And when they talk about the two levels, I very much sort of paced on the idea of being and doing because it shows these two poles in what it means to be a self. Absolutely. Um, the, and, 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 and I just want to also uh, underline that working to become less distorted is a distortion itself. Why? Because we already have a source, in my mind, of less distortion, and that's within. We don't need to make the outer self less distorted. What we need to do is identify what in that inner self best comes through to the outer self. And then the mind can be a tool in helping us condition that lens that we are so that that light can shine through in the way that it needs to shine through. It won't be, it won't come through completely purely because that's not the nature of manifestation for these things to be pure at all, right? It's in the ideal, in the world of spirit, where we have those abstractions and those concepts of, of perfection and all of that. In manifestation, things have tinges to them, right? They're, they're a little bit off kilter. They're a little bit um, degraded and not quite have they don't quite have that like abstract perfection that we think of in our minds and that's but that also gives us the the kind of like 
inflection point for this love to 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 come into the imperfections of 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 manifestation and to find something to creative and novel about the creator in that that then can be taken back to the creator that's kind of how i see it is that manifestation is kind of this point at which the love comes down from intelligent infinity uh, through the mechanism of intelligent energy and hits a point where it doesn't go down any further. Instead, it starts to come back and yield these lessons and these insights into the creator. And it is in uh, working to become less and less distorted, we are simply uh, understanding the creator in this particular uh, intellectual way. That's not that spontaneous free gift of self that is the dancing thoughts thing that Ra talks about. You know, it's in the it's it, there's a there's a raw line that talks about this. Uh, we've spoken of it before, but uh, where is that? Oh yeah, forty session forty one question nineteen. The key to balance may then be seen in the unstudied, spontaneous, and honest responses of entities towards experiences, thus using experience to the utmost, then applying the balancing exercises and achieving the proper attitude for the most purified spectrum of energy center manifestation of violet ray. What they're saying there to get away from the complicated stuff, it's that you're it's kind of like um you have a friend, you're trying to come up, you're trying to uh, make a tough decision, right? And sometimes, have you ever had a friend who said, just say the first thing that comes to mind. Don't think, just say it. Right. And then you say something, and that shows you a truth about yourself. It may not be the right choice, per se, but it shows you something about that unstudied, spontaneous approach that you have to the situation in which you find yourself in your life. And that tells us a lot about what aspect of the creator we are bringing to bear in reality. Um, the more that we use our mind to condition how we engage with experiences and try to cultivate the right experience that we want, the more we get away from that spontaneous aspect of the creator that just wants to understand itself. And the more we kind of like try to curate the creator, you know what I mean? There is an aspect in which we do mentally consciously curate the creator through the pattern of our lives and the actions that we take. But that is best understood if we are, if we are uh, dialed into the purity of ourselves, that part that isn't in manifestation so much, but that we recognize by letting things fall away and listening to the silence. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, I, I think it's kind of what we talked about earlier in the sense that um, it's that connection to the, to the infinite self. And then, and then the distortions will t will be easier to remove, right? It's it's because and some of them might not go away, but it's the, it's the connection that's primary, and the falling away is occurs as a result of that connection, right? Right. And then what you see is that there it isn't so much that you have to like do all of this work to fight against distortion right. or to manifest the right distortion, but instead you start to more and more cooperate with the greater self right. that doesn't articulate these details and these characteristics that give you a sense that you're in control right. as a rational self, right? Instead, you start to become a servant of a deeper project of self, a deeper thing that you can't necessarily always put your finger on. But the more that you work with the heart and this feeling vector that comes from the heart, the spring of love, uh, the more that uh, you discover that you are willing to let it occur the way that it wants to occur. And then that spontaneity becomes just a way of living. 
It doesn't become this cultivated, uh, contrived thing that you bring to bear. In fact, that would be the exact opposite of the spontaneity, right? Yeah, it's 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 an openness to the to the present moment. Um, yep, because it's and it's, they talk about an attitude, right? It it is this attitude of open possibility of lack of fear when viewing the present or the future. That is a kind of key. They talk about cultivating an attitude of willingness, and this is something that your mind can do. Your mind can help in identifying these distortions within yourself so that you can be willing to let yourself manifest in spite of the distortions, in spite of the, of the chinks in the armor, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, that's why I like uh, Eckhart Tolle's uh, – the, um, the present moment, I forgot the title of his book at this point, but uh, it really is – and, you know, Ra talks about this and Quo talks about the, the present moment really is a um, – a portal to the one infinite creator, you know, just bringing your awareness to it. Uh, and certainly, you know, deep in meditation, you can, I think it's sometimes easier, but it's, it's using those meditative um, experiences to bring that into everyday manifestation is when I think things really start to accelerate. And it's, it's a beautiful and amazing experience once you're on that side of the, the journey. Yep. Up. It's like more and more, instead of keying off the details of your waking consciousness and all of those life details that are chaotic and, and all over the place, you're starting to more and more key off of your inner self and using that as the sort of compass for where things should go. And then the details, there's still going to be details in manifest life. There's still going to be details in our incarnation, but we're not relying upon them. We're relying more and more on the anchor of the inner self. And then those things can can fall away as needed when we're you know at our best, and we can we can make room. We can sort of like recognize that matrix archetype that that clears things out and makes room for new potentiation, a new sector of awareness, and uh, transformation becomes this you know rebirth rather than just a death. Exactly, and the, you're you're literally describing some of the tarot archetypes there. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think that the more you study the, 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 the message of the Confederation, especially Ra, the more you realize how foundational the archetypes are. And yet, we don't talk about them very much because they don't yield to the semantics of language very well. That's true. Like, they, 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 they are, I mean, in one sense, they're part of the very basis of having a grammar in the first place. I think if you look at the archetypes, what you're seeing is like the inner, the dynamics of, of, of energy at a fundamental level. And so like everything is built out of these dynamic patterns. So how do you talk about the patterns themselves when everything that you're using to describe them are sort of distortions of that pattern themselves, you know? So Kuo continues, you are something that is whole and unifying and simple. You are infinite love, infinite light, infinite energy, stepped down and stepped down until you can exist within this particular illusion with this particular kind of physical vehicle, this particular energy shell that we have called the personality. It is as though out of an infinite universe, you came through density after density and experience after experience, looking and laughing and gazing and enjoying and came to this particular planet and said, here, I shall plant myself. Here, I shall learn to blossom. Here, I'll, I shall enjoy the sun and feel the rain. Here, I shall be born and die. 
and you descend through the inner planes, through each level at which you make choices, until you have chosen this body and this time and this set of circumstances, and suddenly you are born. And this is the present moment of all times, and this is the place out of all places, and this is the density, and this is the experience. And somehow it seems a miracle that is out of time that is birthed upon the earth like a sun. This is you. This is here. And this is now. Now, I really have uh, gained an appreciation just through reading through it uh, uh, out loud right there. Because isn't this what it means to be a self just as much as all of these details we've accrued? And this personality and this name and this job and these partners and all of this. But like, how did we end up here? <laughs> right? Like, like all we, we have a memory that's our earliest memory. Like I can think back to my second birthday. That's my earliest memory. But before that, how did I get here? I just, I'm here. The, the, the Jeremy that's speaking to you right now did not choose that. Like I'm very much trapped here. I'm very much just suddenly I'm born. And I like this idea of, you know, recognizing within yourself this deeper patrimony of selfhood, this deeper decision-making that had to have occurred. This is one of the things that the rational mind, I think, can do, is it can help you reason about, well, what must have happened in order for me to be a self in this situation? Well, it could just be, you know, random atoms bouncing off of each other until evolution brings us here, or it could be that there is purpose to it. And I think both are true, right? Like, it is in the random bouncing of atoms that purpose is realized and 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 time is just kind of like the canvas upon which all of that unfolds but when we take charge of our spiritual evolution and decide to cooperate with it rather than just deal with it as a as a detail of 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 life throwing lessons at us uh then then we start to work on this deeper level in which the mind doesn't necessarily give us all the tools that we need but it can be one tool that we use to sort of dive into the present moment and get away from the sequence of things that we can't that 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 recedes in the mystery in one direction and in the future recedes in the mystery instead we're just here and we're just here now and we either uh discover a purpose in that or we don't and what I think Kuo is saying that is so useful is that it is going within that we find that uh, orienting purpose that then allows us to have faith, that allows us to trust in the goodness of our experience that we just find ourselves in at this moment. Like right now, right at this moment, you are existing. Isn't that incredible? If you just think about what it means and what I love of Inquo's message is that this is a beautiful thing that that is a miracle, and uh, if we can appreciate it on that level, I think it helps to get us closer to that more idealistic part of ourselves out that is that infinite spring of love. Well said, Jeremy. Well said. Um, nah, it, speak it, for yourself. <laughs> it, it is it is a miracle you know and um if you if you made that personal connection and you've started to really study the present moment and Eckhart Tolle uh Tolle talks about this um Ra talks about this 
you know, that there's love in the, in the moment. Um, mystical traditions of many religions, Hinduism, Buddhism talks about this. Um, and I think many of us, you know, uh, as we've been on this journey for years, maybe decades, I think I'm coming up on more than a decade. Um, you know, you, I almost describe it as, as that um, the present moment contains like this beautiful background music. And when you're able to just quiet the mind and notice it, um, for me at least, on occasion in meditation, but even outside of meditation, you know, just sometimes sitting on my couch, just staring out the window, you'll, you'll actually start to feel like the orgasmic nature of reality. Like it just, it's, it's almost like I tell people that the emotion of peace in its deepest form is closer to or, orgasmic ecstasy um, because that's how it feels as you deepen your relationship with the present moment, you get to that inner well of peace. And as you go even deeper, and this can be with your eyes open, you know, it, um, it, it feels, you just feel the, the, how much creation is just a beautiful thing. And it's, it's an amazing experience. Yeah. I, I totally concur with this idea that we think that peace is this kind of like stillness and lack of activity and lack of energy and potential. And in some cases it is, but it also has this very, very pregnant and potentiated aspect to it. And it can feel orgasmic. It can feel just like you're, you're, you're caught up in the sea of energy that's always at hand at each moment. Um, yeah, it kind of reminds me of how they talk about how, you know, we think that uh, happiness is like just contentment and not doing anything. But the Confederation often reminds us that the value of happiness is low and people are often most happy when they are engaged in, in service that challenges them. They may not recognize it at the time, right? Uh, think of all the, the moments you've had in your life where at the moment you were, at the time you were, you were there, you were, you were feeling challenged and you weren't sure you're going to make it. But looking back, you realized that that was when you were expressing yourself maximally. You were really engaged in life. And they talk later on about this, this engagement in life and this, this vector of the energy flow and the attention flow that allows us to bring ourselves to bear in incarnation is part of is part of this process of the creator understanding ourselves and it's it's a deep source of satisfaction for us and uh, we just have to open ourselves up to it um it's that simple just open yourself up yeah yeah simple not easy <laughs> um kuo continues think of yourself in this way as a sun or a blossom anything but a human for to think of oneself as a human is always to move to the outer for your true self is no outer thing. Your true self is without distortion and infinite in love. We cannot teach you how to realize compassion. You cannot teach yourself how to realize the compassion that is locked within you. And even with the dent of the hardest and most intransigent work upon the self, you cannot add one whit of compassion to your personality. You can teach yourself to perform compassion acts, but the key to that infinite compassion that is truly yours is not to be found within teaching and learning. It is locked within the present moment. And it is when you go into the present moment that you are vulnerable to a deeper realization of yourself. I have to stop right there because I just realized how masterful it is that they speak of it as a vulnerability. 
It is vulnerable to have a deeper realization of yourself. It is vulnerable to recognize how deep compassion goes and how much it, when we truly have compassion for others, for example, and we see all the suffering out there, we realize how much that could be us. And that's an incredibly vulnerable thing. And that's why we try to block it out. But it is in the present moment where we're not attached to these details of self in the incarnation, but we're just being ourselves that we open up to all of this. And then all of that emotional energy and that peace can come through and, 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 and condition us and help us to understand our role in the moment. And then the mind just becomes getting a few details on the side, right? It's not the main, it's not the main flow of our no, no, attention. Yeah. I definitely like how you worded that. Um, yeah. A few details on the side. Sometimes, yeah, that's um, sometimes we, I think both of us, or at least me, you know, you uh, over obsess over the details and then you realize, you know, Oh yeah. It's the details need to be handled, but they're not often important in the way you handle them. Just that you've chosen to address them in one way. Yeah, there's there's something that uh, a confederation source says. I can't remember it. I'll try to look it up. But they say um, it's always a detail that distracts you. Right. Exactly. And it, and and it's and 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 they say something like, um, "Oh, I don't remember the rest of it." But it's something that brings you back to remembrance. It's it's like some it's like there. They, but the details are what get us get us uh, using our mind overly. Um, and uh, I also always think of that rock quote where they talk about um, what makes what makes uh, details negative is the emphasis placed on it. That's it. It is it is the emphasis placed on details in in little and little elements that we fixate on that makes them negative. So the, and they're doing and they and they mention that in the context of talking about UFOs and and phenomena like that, where they're like, we don't have a problem talking about UFOs and UFO encounters and the exopolitics and all that. The problem is, is when you in third density fixate on those details, instead of the deeper message that we're trying to bring through, that provides the context in which those details are properly seated in importance. When we place too much importance on those like little uh, uh, transient details, then we're taking the emphasis off of the greater project, which is spiritual evolution. See, I eventually get there. (laughs) Uh, Kubo continues. And so what we encourage this day is a heightened awareness of the value of losing yourself in the present moment. When one talks about the devotional life, one is, again, one is pulled into thoughts of the outer world. The question that you ask when you ask to learn more of your true self is a question that has no answer, but only a direction, a direction that says into the present moment, into life. Not living, not a process, but that state of being that lies beyond all process. It should be utterly simple to allow distortion to fall away. And yet it is as far from simple as the challenge of the sculptor who is looking at an ovoid rock, which he wishes to carve into a likeness. The likeness dwells within that rock. It is a matter of chipping away at the rock until it has the requisite form to satisfy the maker. So again, we have this idea of the present moment as kind of like this gateway to this kind of consciousness that we are trying to manifest on a moment-to-moment basis. It's always at hand. It's always there. And what we're trying to do is become, I think, I love this idea of a direction. The question doesn't have an answer. It just has this flow, this directionality to it. 
Um, and it's and it's with that flow that we're trying to cooperate in, as we as we walk the service of others path. If you're walking the service of self path, you're trying everything you can to militate against that flow. And in fact, there is a Hatan from long ago that talks about this. They 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 talk about uh, at one point in your evolution, they say. You were at the farthest point from the central source, which we call creator for want of another word. There was nothing behind and nothing in front of you when you began your travel. As you move towards that great light, that great central sun, light is before you and darkness behind you, wisdom before you and ignorance behind you. Those who wish to gain power may gain it in one of two ways, by aiding and abetting that journey towards the light, which is called good, or by, shall we say, applying the brakes in progress and attempting to re-enter that portion of the cycle, which has already been, which is called evil. And they go on to say that this is, this is the crudest form of polarity that they describe before Ra's even involved. This is 1978 when they're doing this. So that you can tell that they're like, the confederation sources are trying to grasp towards this concept of polarity. But I like the way that they describe it. Uh, they continue that... Um, the type of power that this generates is similar to that which is generated by applying of brakes in one of your automobiles. It is a friction which generates a good deal of heat. And that's how they describe the negative path. It is resisting the pull back to the creator. And we are, co are cooperating with that pull back to the creator. So I see it in very similar terms that, that as, as we attempt to understand that deeper part of ourselves, there's a flow that's coming out of this infinite spring of love. Are we helping that love come into being or are we trying to curate it, block right. it? No, it needs to be a certain way because I've decided that's who I am. Yeah. And, and to be clear, you know, uh, Quo and Ra and the Confederation do in general say that um, there are two valid paths um, to evolution, at least past this stage. And the negative path doesn't take you all the way there, but it does take you, you know, through many of the densities. So, you know, it is important that in a, even though, it can be described as putting the brakes because one thing that the negative path Ra talks about has never uh, been able to do, and this is why it doesn't fully lead you back to the creator, is that it can never fully accept the other selves, right? It's a path right. of control. So it's a path of resistance because it doesn't accept the other selves. But in a certain sense, it is a valid path. And um, I think I've briefly mentioned this in the past, uh, but just to reiterate why I would summarize why it is a valid path is that in general, the movement back towards the creator occurs through the harnessing of, I would say, love energy, right? Yeah. Um, and the service of self path, while it might not give any love to anyone else, it is very good at giving love to itself. And that's Bingo. why that's it, that it's able to um, make the stairs of light journey between third and fourth density. I mean, if you're property polarized, 95% service to self. And then also from fourth to fifth density and fifth to sixth. But as of yet, no uh, negative entity has been able to release polarity because they're, they're so much intertwined with it because they try to dominate and control other selves, right? Right. They are, they are fixated on the path of that which is not. Exactly. But they have to have at least the tiniest toe on the, on the side of that which is. Otherwise, they just wouldn't exist at all, right? right. They'd be completely non-existent. So it's always about this, like, what kind of mixture of illusion and, and, and truth that you're going for. 
And it seems like in our illusion, in our in this creation, in this octave at least, there are these two mixtures that create the motive force for us to 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 learn and to grow and to accrue power. They they do describe it very, very clearly in terms of power. Absolutely. And so when we are when we are um finding our true self and we're, uh, you know, if we're on the service of others path, it is in that true self that we are finding the roots of compassion. Um, a course in miracles says this too, uh, very early on where they say, you know, we can't teach you love. We can only teach you how to like unblock the things that keep you from seeing the love within yourself and realizing it and identifying it. Um, and this is, this is very similar. Uh, it is in, uh, reckoning with your deeper, infinite self that then you discover that the present moment is a is a is a uh setting in which you have the freedom to do anything you want and then i think this is why that breaking that the negative path does create so much power because it 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 it, it discovers in itself the will to overcome that spiritual gravity of return to unity and it is in building that will that it learns how to uh, apply its resources in spite of the vector of creation, not not be, not in in cooperation with it, right? Exactly. And um, for those who are Star Wars fans out there, just to mention that Ross specifically does mention that um, this. It, I guess you know they ask about Star Wars. Basically, hey, um, some of this philosophy sounds like uh, you know Sith and Jedi. And Ross says, you know, that is actually. Um, like a child's tale version of polarity um, in a certain sense. So it's yeah. kind of funny to mention that. Yeah. It's these two ways of realizing power. And it's funny that that power comes from two concepts of love. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so let's continue. Let us move back into the image of the self in the water. The self has a relationship to the water of being in that the self is a bubble upon the sea of being that wishes to dissolve into that sea. And yet it is the essence of being an individual that you cannot, for the term of this experience, this incarnation, dissolve. This is not your time to dissolve. This is your time to be a bubble. The bubble has a skin, the coherent shell that holds the self apart from the water. And within that bubble, there is, one would say, nothing. And yet it is within that bubble of individuality that your true self lies. So you may accept being that bubble on the water, but you are touching the water. You're carried along by the water, and we encourage in each of you a sense of that rhythmic and pulsing wave effect that this instrument would call destiny. You have little or no choice as to how the wave on which you are sitting will go. You may perhaps position yourself so that the waves do not toss you unduly, yet you are directionless except for the water. Where the water takes you, you shall go. And there is an endless art in the observation of this wave action and in those creative attempts to become more into congruency with the line of energy of this wave action. Your responsibility as a personality shell is to be present during this experience of individuality, to observe and to respond. And you do this outer work, yet still realizing you are the bubble on the ocean. You set up for yourself that two-layered plan of attack the outer layer being largely the attempt to come into rhythmic harmony with that energy of destiny that shall give you the experiences that you hoped for, those limitations that will teach, and those opportunities to share the gifts that you brought with you. Meanwhile, always reserving some of the self for the immediate experience of diving into the present moment. 
This instrument was earlier speaking of the bliss while working in the garden, talking to the plant life and working with the Davic energy. And she wondered, is it out of proportion to its actual import? And we would say this instrument, no, it is not at all out of proportion. It is an instance where this instrument did dive into the present moment to find the heart of bliss that is within each present moment. Okay. Uh, I, I really love these two paragraphs and this, uh, this metaphor of the bubble on the water. I think that that is perfect for understanding how individuality relates to the creation and therefore the, the kind of relationship that we should think of ourselves having to creation. We are made of that water, but we have this form, this, this, the center to us that is, that is seemingly separate from the center to the other surrounding infinity. And yet it really is the same center. It's kind of this illusion and there's, it seems like there's nothing in the bubble, but it really has the core of who we are. Yeah. It, it reminds me of um, kind of how, how Taoism talks about um, the Tao and how it flows. Uh, they use water as, um, as a metaphor. So it fits. Yeah. Yeah. This, this flow uh, is really, really important. I think to understanding the role that the individual plays in the creation in, in the creator's exploration of itself, because it provides a, a focal point for that flow, right? The flow has a source and it has a destination and both of those things provide a center, but one doesn't require your consent or existence or sorry, not existence, but it doesn't require you to make it happen. That, that, that center within you just happened and it is whether you acknowledge it or not. And then there's that other center. There's that other, uh, point, which is our, our anchoring in the illusion and it is where all of this uh, uh, love is coming from the spring within us and going there. And then we may have some ideas on how it could manifest or how it could be brought in, but those aren't, those aren't crucial to who we are. They're just little details on the edge. We are trying to come into this rhythmic harmony with that flow and they call that destiny. I find that to be really interesting. Destiny isn't something that's usually mentioned a lot in the Confederation work, but it is here. Your responsibility as a personality shell is to be present, they say, during this experience of individuality, to observe and to respond. And you do this outer work, yet still realizing that you are a bubble on the ocean. Like, they, there's this idea that you're doing two things at once. You're diving to the present moment as an infinite creator, and you're also being a creation, a creature in this illusion. And you're trying to find a way in which there's a rhythm and a harmony to, to being both of those things at once. I think that's what's really, really challenging about uh, service to others and a more uh, focused, adept path. Yeah, I can't. it's it's difficult, right? Um I mean, I've personally kind of had periods of my life where just to explore it, be more meditative in, in or have a, a life situation, a career situation where, I'm, you know, maybe um, after school in between jobs, really focusing more on, you know, I think at one point I was uh, for like a couple of months, I was meditating like three or four hours a day. And 
there were some some aspects to it where um, it did yield some work, but it definitely felt that, at least for me, in my journey, um, the sea was really, uh, the flow was to, to be in the illusion as much as I was also focusing on the infinite portion. Um, I mean, we're here for a reason, right? We're here in this very limited, seemingly limited reality for a reason. And so it's important to embrace both aspects of, uh, of the situation, both the fact that it's a bubble and the fact that you're in this, you're going somewhere with the current in the, in the ocean. That's why I think this idea of rhythm is so useful because in a rhythm, there's like a sine wave, right? You're going between these two uh, concepts of understanding the self, both the inner and the outer, and you need both of them. And so you're kind of like going back and forth, back and forth, mediating and shuttling this energy and this selfhood around. So we'll continue with the last two paragraphs of this main Kuo uh, monologue. And they say, we encourage each then to find those situations within which it is the easiest to forget the self completely and simply to be. For this particular entity, that is, this particular instrument being in the garden, interacting with second density energies, is one excellent set of conditions that encourages this particular seeker to come completely out of herself and into the moment. We encourage each to find those situations that so encourage each. For some, it is great music. For others, it is art. For some, a tramp in the woods. For others, the contemplation of the structure of thought that is majestic. What all of them have in common is the result, that explosion of the limited self into the infinite present. Each of you is a blossom. Turn towards the light. We ask each of you to remember the help that awaits the seeker. You are not as alone as you seek to be. Sorry, you are not alone as you seek to be. There is, at many levels, help, guidance, encouragement, and comfort. As always, we encourage patience, persistence, and a sense of humor. For those who seek outwardly, there are many accomplishments that can be pointed to. For those who seek to be truly themselves, there is only the joy of bursting the bubble and becoming the ocean. We encourage you to continue the seeking in all faith and all hope. And that's pretty much the end of it. Um, I really like the way that they end it, where they remind you that as you're being this individual, as you're, as you're negotiating these two centers of attention, there's help. It's, uh, it's not all on your shoulders. And if there's, a, if there's value to individuality, then we have to take as uh, bound up in that individuality the fact that there are many individuals. And that, so there is, it's not all for us to figure out alone. Like we can, we can, we can rely upon help from these other individuals, whether they be third density people in the illusion or the spirits and guides that uh, we have contact with in our meditations. Absolutely. I also really like the, the first paragraph you read, um, because this is something we've talked about or I've talked about before, mm-hmm. uh, in that your daily practice, one of the most important things is to remember and observe um, earlier in the day when you might have been less loving and when you've been more loving and to really try to find organically the conditions, um, certainly the outer ones, but moving toward more towards the inner conditions, the inner perspectives, the inner beliefs, the inner distortions you had that brought about those experiences of either great love of, you know, meeting the in one infinite creator in a certain sense or channeling one infinite creator 
and experiences where you're very controlling and less loving and um, or just maybe just distorted and, you know, experiencing turbulent emotion and trying to observe organically what causes those things to arise. Because the, this path of evolution isn't about following a bunch of rules during the day and just be like, oh, no, I can't have a negative. Like some people have this. Um, it's very common. I feel like new age um, material where they have this fake positivity of like, yeah, just on their conscious mind, trying to think positive thoughts or no, don't think about scary stuff or we don't think about negative. We don't think about stuff that, um, you know, could bring us down. It's like, that's not true positivity. <laughs> you know, nope. it's more about, you're not going to get this, um, connection to the, to the true self and uh, move along the path unless you're able to observe when you're organically, um, closer to that. And when you're organically not as close to it and then finding not just the outer component, but the inner component that is at play. So in all those examples, for example, being in the garden, um, experiencing art, being in the woods, the contemplation of structure, which uh, structure of thought, it's it's trying to find um, that organic experience uh, um, that creates it. And, you know, correspondingly, when you're doing the daily practice, it's much easier, I would say, to find what conditions bring you into that state uh, very far away from that state where you're frustrated, stressed out. Uh, from, and I've talked about this before, that a lot of people, uh, including myself in the past, um, they motivate your, themselves uh, in the workplace by deadlines. Like, I have to get this done, setting an artificial deadline and, and you know, just sweating it out and, and letting their body be flooded with adrenaline and, you know, realizing that when you're doing your daily practice, um, that's not as helpful. And so Ra talks about many techniques, but one thing is to, and this is where the intellect helps. Yeah. Look at situations where the opposite occurs. You're able to do quality work and it just flows. When are you entering that flow state, right? And kind of noticing what brings about those flow states and what brings about those states where, yeah, you might get work done, but you're doing it through the fight or flight response, which is really doing damage to your body, right? That amount of cortisol and adrenaline running through your system. Yep. So I absolutely agree that it's, um, it's allowing yourself to be, and the daily work is very important for that because you'll be able to better notice um, when you're naturally letting yourself be and how to kind of... Uh, incorporate more of that, uh, those situations in your daily life. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's about paying attention to the feedback mechanism. That is life. Exactly. Right. Catalyst is not designed to frustrate you. It's designed to teach you and give you a way to respond to, uh, lessons and events so that you can grow. And what does, what do those of Kuo say is the the key to this, to being a self in this process? It's a willingness to surrender to the true self's will, which is the creator's will. And as we, as we explore ourselves more, we get more confidence in, in letting go and letting that occur in that spontaneous fashion. And then the mind just like works with that uh, uh, flow to place things in the right, in the right, place maybe maybe to to condition it this way or condition that way but it's not the motivating uh organ that motivating uh energy is coming from that infinite spring of love within that we have worked on a daily basis to find within ourselves it's there it's there yep and uh 
it's, uh, I, I just want to return to this Kuo thing where they say, what we are trying to say is how easy it is to work too hard at something that is not actually work at all, but rather a growing willingness. And this is the heart of what we would like to say this day. This is the heart of what the message has been, to find in our individuality and in uh, that, that, that being, that rhythm of beingness that's underneath all the details of ourself, uh, this, this heart that then uh, it doesn't, it's not a task that the mind can do. It is a rhythm and a flow that the entire self participates in. It's a dance. Yep. Dancing thoughts. All right. Well, I think we've been talking long enough and thank you listener for uh, hanging in there. Thank you, Nathan, for working through this with me. Thank you, Jeremy, for having me. And uh, until next time, listeners. Stay in the love and light.